Welcome to Stay Grounded with your host, me, Raj Jana. I'm the founder of Java Press Coffee Company, and my life changed after my mentor died with three months left until retirement. That experience inspired me to start a personal journey to discover how we can all live a purpose-driven and meaningful life starting today. I interview everyone from best-selling authors and business moguls to extreme athletes and monks to discuss happiness, success, and fulfillment to uncover powerful takeaways that empower you to stay grounded and make passionate living a reality. To access post-podcast discussions, insights, and further resources, visit rajjana.com forward slash stay grounded. So thanks for joining me today. Now, let's get to grinding. Yo, yo, what's up, everyone? And welcome to this week's episode of Stay Grounded. I hope you are all having a brilliant and beautiful day so far. I am so grateful and excited to be introducing my main man, this week's very special guest, Mr. Victor Pierantoni. So Victor and I met at a retreat not too long ago, and I mean, immediately when I met the guy, we dropped in (laughs) really deep. And then I started learning more about his story, his past, his dedication to mastering the art of living. And it was no surprise that we, I just felt the soul brother connection right out the gate. So to give you a little background on Victor, he's the founder of Zen Stoicism, or he's the creator of a methodology called Zen Stoicism, which is a blend of timeless wisdom that comes from Zen Buddhism and Stoicism. And it's a method of experiencing emotional mastery that he employs with hundreds of clients um, that he's worked with over the years. And this methodology was developed as a result of Victor's incredibly um, moving and touching life experiences. His mom died of cancer when he was seven, and his dad was diagnosed with melanoma later on in his life. And both of those experiences really pushed Victor to want to understand the journey of, of, of emotional states. He wanted to understand the, the, the power of mastering what's here in the now and learning how to ascend physical disease, learning how to ascend mental cages, learning how to ascend emotional suffering. And I just really appreciated this conversation because I remembered when I heard Victor speak for the first time, we were at this retreat and he was sharing just some of the most profound perspectives on emotions and why people don't feel their emotions and why we're so afraid of of actually letting go of the things that are are holding us back. And it was just such an illuminating perspective that I just couldn't wait to have him on the show. And we did not hold back. I mean, this was just such a powerful conversation around leadership and how to unravel unhelpful belief systems and the path to resolving some of our most painful emotions and setting ourselves free from the fear of uncertainty and how to truly actually transcend the limiting beliefs that are holding you back. And I just really appreciate Victor. I appreciate his dedication to his craft. I appreciate his dedication to mastering so many different modalities of healing and bridging them together into a framework like Zen Stoicism. It takes a true um, 10,000, like someone to really actually know and, and experience and embody these teachings in order to structure them in the way that he does. And for him to actually blend so many different disciplines and bring them together was really inspiring for myself as I step into 
greater levels of leadership in my own life and really inspiring, I hope, for all of you as you're learning to navigate your own emotional journeys with ease, grace, and love. So enjoy this episode. If you haven't already, subscribe to us on iTunes, Spotify, or any of the podcast apps. All that means is that every single time we release a new episode, it drops straight into your inbox. Let us know on social media what resonates, tag us, leave us a review. I read everything and I respond to everything. And I'm just so grateful that we get to share these conversations together. Every time I step into the interview booth, I I truly, truly, truly actually just feel all of you. I feel all of you in every conversation. And it just means the world that you guys are a part of this journey and that you guys choose to listen to the show. So thank you for being here. Thank you for giving us the gift of your attention. It means the world. And without further ado, here is the amazing Mr. Victor Pierantoni. Enjoy. Yo, yo, yo. What's up, everyone? And welcome to this week's episode of Stay Grounded. I hope you are all having a splendid day so far. Victor, my brother, welcome. Thank you. Thank you, Raj. This is actually really awesome. I love how we uh, spontaneously threw this episode together. <laughs> I think it's part of the magic. <laughs> it's it's part of my favorite thing. It's like my favorite thing to do. I mean, at the end of the day, like we connect, we authentically relate. We realize we're soul brothers. And then the best way that I like to hang out with people is on the show. And so, <laughs> <laughs> Likewise, um, man. It's just so great, man. And I'm just so grateful to have you here and to, to go deep into some concepts that we spent a lot of time discussing off the mic. And I'm excited mm-hmm. to share it with others. I'd love to actually start kind of where we were when I realized we needed to be hitting the record button, but I'd I'd actually love for you to start with that Jordan Peterson quote, because I think that's actually a really important concept that I think can dictate the rest of the conversation. Yeah, for sure. So this morning, just as I was kind of starting the day and whatnot, my dad had sent me like a video of one of Jordan Peterson's lectures and he was talking about pain. I thought what was really interesting about it is that how he was saying how pain is universally self-evident. Like you cannot logic your way out of it. You can't pretend that it's not there. It's something that is very real that we experience in the moment and that essentially brings us into the present, right? It's It shows the almost like the most sincere version of reality that we can all unify on, which is a really interesting thing. And in in the work that I I've done with on myself as well as with my clients, pain has been an incredible teacher for being able to not just draw you into the present, but reveal things to you that maybe fall outside of one's ideals that they haven't allowed themselves to necessarily face or confront until that moment when, once again, because it's physical, because it's real, because it draws us in, calls us to actually face what might be going on with ourselves and our body or our minds or our emotions. Yeah. And it's interesting because there's different kinds of pain, right? There's discomfort. I would say like emotional discomfort that we resist facing, feeling, and we've had a long conversation around that. But eventually emotional discomfort, these little things build up and it ends up becoming physical pain in a lot of times, right? Like, I mean, how many times I know I have God knows how many friends in my life that have chronic pain that is usually actually connected to some type of an emotional component. And so how do you, I guess, what do you define as pain and what do you define as that breaking point 
that then inspires enough of like, like what is the enoughness, right? Like why don't we actually just pay attention to the whispers and why are we waiting for the big sledgehammer to actually begin doing the work? <laughs> well, I mean, to answer that, that question, like the last part of it, at least in my experience personally, as well as what I've observed in other people is that we need that sledgehammer because one of the scariest things for us seems to be feeling our own emotions and feeling our feelings, essentially, which it sounds silly. And at the same time, seems to be the hardest thing for a lot of people to do. And through the training that I've done, like I've done training in NLP all the way up to the master certification level under the methodology of Tad James. And one of the things that Tad James used to say when he was alive was that chronic pain is actually chronic dissociation from emotion and that the body does pain. And you know, notice that he didn't say the body has pain or experiences pain, but the body does pain. In other words, it's it's almost like a, a defense mechanism or a cover-up mechanism when we are dissociated from ourselves emotionally. So instead of actually feeling the emotion, what we might do is we might tighten up a specific set of muscles, maybe in our back, maybe in our knee, maybe in our shoulder. And when the emotions essentially have not been acknowledged or felt for that matter, they'll stick around until they are. So uh, I, I should probably give some context to what I mean by that. So I typically, the way that I'll teach when it comes to clients or the way that I even talk about it on my podcast, The Zen Stoic Path, is how we don't have positive or negative emotions. We have pleasant and unpleasant emotions, but the emotions simply are. They're not good or bad necessarily. They're just signaling something different. So positive is like, okay, this is a reinforcing type of energy. This is a an energy that says keep going or it supports or it's a almost like a positive reinforcement to action like to get us to keep doing that action that is you know making us feel good but agitation or unpleasant or uncomfortable feelings are typically trying to signal us to something that either we need to change how we see something when when it comes to our outlook or we need to take a specific action to reflect to, to make the external reality reflect how we believe it should be internally and oftentimes we don't necessarily control what that is. So more often than not, it falls into the changing of perspective rather than the call to action. But the point is, is like the emotions are just like a little kid. Like they're going to keep coming at us wanting to say what they need to say until they've been heard and acknowledged. And if we never hear and acknowledge them, what we end up doing is dissociating them. That tension goes somewhere in our body. As to where it goes, I don't know, or you know, to where or why it would go into a specific location. But the point is, it goes somewhere in our body and remains there until the emotions actually felt. So as long as the emotions are acknowledged, it hasn't fulfilled its intention or its signal to us, and that's why we'll hold on to it for decades, even if something happened that we've mentally forgotten about. The emotion itself is timeless, so it stays around. Question, and I, I think yeah. you might have a really interesting perspective on this. If emotions are created by the body and it's a part of us, why is there such a resistance to actually feeling them? Because, like, to me, like, why would the body create something that we naturally repel ourselves from experiencing? Like, to me, that feels like such a crazy idea. Wondering if you have any thoughts or perspectives on that. I don't even think it's the body that's repelling it. I think the body wants to feel them. The body wants us to feel them, which is why they're, they're being generated. I think it's, that comes down to the mind, right? This love affair that we seem to have with logic 
and reason and how we want everything to make sense <laughs> when the reality is logic and reason are, it's like they're a child of imagination. It's not the other way around. And when we want things to make sense, emotions that they don't necessarily make sense as to like why we're feeling them. Sometimes the reason seems very irrational, but irrational or not, it's, it's still something that we have to feel. So what I think in terms of why we resist them or why we try to avoid them is because somewhere along the way, we told ourselves that good, that the pleasant feelings are good and we need to pursue those and the unpleasant feelings are bad and we need to avoid them and demonize them and just make sure they never come up, right? People will tell us, oh, like, don't be sad, don't cry, don't be angry. It's like, okay, <laughs> but if they're coming up, there must be a purpose for them. Even if that purpose is just for them to be felt, just to be acknowledged as part of the human experience, not necessarily solved. So I think it's a product of, of the mind and basically assumptions on our part as humans to think that, that we're not supposed to. Yeah. It sounds like the, the magic bullet then is to teach kids that it's okay to feel. Yeah. I mean, I'd say, I'd say that. And, I, and what's interesting is like, at least today, uh, I don't know, you know, if you, if you've been able to, to witness this, I, I know I have a few times, but any of my friends who have kids who are like new parents of today, yeah. if they're into personal development, if they're into their own healing and whatnot, they'll typically, they won't try to stop their kids from feeling. They'll let their kids actually feel the feelings, which I think is really fascinating instead of telling them, oh, don't cry, don't be sad. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the tough part when, you know, adults begin to actually go into the healing work. It's because they're having to actually feel years of unfelt feelings. Yes. Yeah. It's like, it's all piled on and <laughs> has like compounded interest and in everything. <laughs> yeah. Well, it, I mean, like, but, and that's really uncomfortable, right? Oh, yeah. And I, I found at least for myself, you know, the only way out is through the second you begin feeling you, you kind of have to go through a pretty, a journey of actually allowing yourself to go deeper and deeper and deeper and releasing the hold that the mind has or the block that the mind has that's stopping the body from just doing what it naturally wants to do. And I think I've found like life gives us breaking points that force us to begin doing that work. I guess let's go back to your journey because I'm really curious about how you even got into this work. I know we were talking about this earlier, but I'm, I'm curious, like, was, can you talk about the breaking points for you that, that started the journey inward and then kind of how that's evolved over time? Yeah, for sure. I, for me, I always, when I think about when this work started for myself, it was long before I had the inclination to work with or help people in this capacity with their emotions, with their thoughts. For me, it began, I would say when I was seven years old, when my mom passed away from cancer. And what that did in my life was, was really interesting because for a long time, I didn't really think there was a care in the world, right? Like I was happy. I had a really nice childhood. My relationship with my mom was fantastic. And so there was never really anything much for me to worry about in my life. And then suddenly that happiness was dashed by my mom getting sick, by her being in and out of the hospital for, for two years, and then ultimately to passing away. So I was not prepared emotionally or mentally for what this was. And as a, as a seven-year-old, the thing that you end up assuming or learning in some, in, in that, in that case, a lot of the time is that the world's not fair. People I love can be taken away from me and there's nothing I can do about it. And 
that is a pretty harsh and heavy reality for a kid to undergo. But so for a long time, what that did for me is like, it, it kind of turned me into like a victim of my own thoughts and emotions. Like I, I started to feel oppressed by the very feelings that I would generate within, which would allow other people in my life to either take advantage of me, to you know manipulate me and make me think certain things because I already felt like a victim going in. Yeah. So, I mean, this was like a form of like self-torture that I didn't really even realize I was even doing to myself. I didn't understand why it was like this. I just knew that I wasn't happy and I knew I couldn't get a grip on my own thoughts. And what ended up really helping me is that like later in life, when I was like 18 years old, I moved to Canada to work for my grandfather because he had like a company over there. He wanted me to go to school in the area and then work for him. And eventually like I kind of worked my way up. But two weeks in, like I realized that I hated the work. <laughs> like I couldn't stand being there at all. And so the only saving grace that I had while I was working there was listening to my iPod. And I had this like little green iPod Nano. Seems ancient today <laughs> as we talk about it. But I had one book on there and I had the four agreements, which uh, was given to me by a friend who was basically introducing me to meditation before I left Florida. And it was the only book that I had. So I figured to myself, I'm like, you know what? If I'm going to be here for eight hours, like hating life, I might as well learn something. And like, <laughs> hopefully this book can help me. Hopefully there's something good in there because I hadn't started it yet. So I didn't even know what it was about. And I started listening to it. For those who haven't read it, it's a super simple book, but the ideas are very, very powerful. They're very profound. And the first agreement within the four agreements was this idea of being impeccable with your word. And the way that the author defines it is that impeccable comes from the Latin word peccatos, which means to sin, which is to go against yourself and others with your words, essentially. So what I realized is that in this like self-torture, self-oppression that I was giving myself emotionally and mentally, I was not being impeccable with my word. I was using my word very much against myself to like cut myself down, to beat myself up, to make my situation seem even shittier than it was. Um, you know, it's not, not a fun situation to grow up without a parent, but I somehow was able to make it worse mentally <laughs> with my own creativity. And as I was listening to that, I remember getting hooked by these ideas and I would listen to it over and over and over again until I'd listened to the book like 25 times. So it was like burned into my mind and it, it fundamentally changed the way I saw myself and the way I saw life. And there was one day when I was in college, my best friend who I had met there he was really like beating himself up one night. Like him and I used to vent and confide in each other a lot. And he was born with a mild case of cerebral palsy. So talking to him like head on, it, you wouldn't be able to tell that there was anything off. But when you'd see him walk, his left leg would like turn in a little bit. Like the muscles in his left leg would kind of twist in and he had like a little bit of a limp. So this particular night he was saying, he kept repeating this phrase. He kept going, my left leg is my curse. My left leg is my curse. And I saw him in so much pain and I didn't have any like coaching skills or anything at the, at the time. But what I did know is that this is my friend. I care about him. I can't stand to see him, see him like this. So like, I'm going to do something. So I remember asking him, I said, what if your left leg wasn't your curse? What if it was your gift? What if it made you who you are? And that one question transformed his entire life. Like mm. he fundamentally changed as a person by changing the foundation of his own identity. And he went from like, at the time he was 135 pounds at 5'11", like very scrawny, couldn't do a bodyweight squat, 
um, didn't really have a ton of self-esteem to like a year later, putting on like 35 pounds of muscle, being able to squat with a, uh, with a barbell and, and a plate on each side, like just like total transformation, just in his physicality. He also built up the confidence to start becoming an entrepreneur and he, you know, started several businesses. And then one of them actually took off and he made over a million dollars in less than six months, wow. you know, just doing his thing. And I was like, holy shit, like, what was that? What just occurred there? And how can I do that for more people? Because that wasn't like therapy. That was like, it was something else. Like I had thought at the time that maybe I should go into psychology and become a therapist, but I saw that transformation. And then I started looking into coaching. Like I didn't even know that that was a career path. And that's when I began to, to find that. Wow, dude. I love the synchronistic sort of nature of that, right? Like you read a book, it changed your life. And then mm -hmm. you just cared enough about your friend to not let him go into those stories that were hurting him. That's right. That's it. At the core of it, there's just love. There's service and there's love in that. And, and I think that's, at least I found in my journey, like the more I go inward, the more I'm able to actually see the way that others speak to themselves, the mm -hmm. more I'm able to actually like, just even in the way that I communicate with them, it just kind of like, and it's a function of like, the more you see yourself as that light, the more you begin mm -hmm. to see the light in others. That's right. It starts with you. Because mm -hmm. you can only see in others what you already identify and view in yourself. And that's why like, I think it was Carl Jung that used to talk about how the stuff that annoys you most in other people is the stuff that you are hiding from yourself. Mm. <laughs> like, that you yep. somehow haven't let go of or you haven't dealt with, or maybe you still carry a resentment for yourself for even having had that behavior. Um, yeah. So it's really interesting because if you turn that to the other side, like what you were saying, the more light you see in yourself, the more good you see in yourself, suddenly you start to see even more of that in other people as well. Right. And so there's this, it's, there's the beauty and the, and, and the shadow, right? Like that's right. There's the light <laughs> and the dark, like whatever you see is actually a reflection of what's happening internally. I think mm -hmm. even when I think about emotional intelligence and leadership and really stepping into the highest versions of you, like that's why learning yourself is, is the greatest purpose. It's the greatest act of love that you can do because the way you see yourself is ultimately how you're going to begin to see everyone else in your life. And it doesn't matter if you're in a leadership position, you could be a parent, you could be a friend, you could be a lover, like in any capacity, it's, it's your ability to relate to others. That is a direct mirror of how you relate to yourself. Yeah, a hundred percent. I actually have a question for you on leadership because I know that you've been focusing on this idea of embodied leadership. I'd seen it on your social media. I'd overheard you talking about it a few times uh, when we were hanging out. My question for you is like, what is your definition of leadership? Hmm. Um, I think leadership is it's a class of learning. Mm. Right. So it's that, that I kind of think of it as like, it's like, Ooh, a, I like that. Yeah. So like when you think <laughs> about like math, you can think of math, you can think of science, you can think of biology. You know, I think of leadership as a class, it's a curriculum. Mm. It's something that you're developing, learning, stepping into, going into different grades. There's emotional leadership, mental leadership. There's, you know, there's sexual leadership. There's there's so many different aspects to being a leader that can be applied in so many different aspects of life, right? There's healthy masculine leadership, there's relational leadership, there's community leadership, there's spiritual leadership. I mean, like, and I think when I, 
when I really begin to think of that idea of leadership, it is accessing just greater levels of confidence and service. It's like the the intersection of both of those is kind of mm. like the like the class that I think leadership really defines. That's interesting. I like that. Yeah. Especially that you look at it as like a class of learning where I feel like a lot of people might immediately look at leadership as like a position of authority or almost like a posture of control. Even if we were to to paint it in a nicer sounding way, like even some people would be like, well, leadership means like having a vision and knowing where you're going. But I think looking at it from the perspective of learning is so key. What, what it reminds me of is something one of my coaches told me once about it. And he's like, it's not necessarily about knowing where you're going, like, or like telling a person where you're going, but it's about being able to show somebody that you know where they're at, which is not possible without being able to learn like Bingo. where somebody's at and what they're actually experiencing going through, because the vision becomes meaningless if it's not fulfilling the challenges and the voids within an individual that or a group of individuals that you're leading. I mean, you can go apply that to business. I mean, at the end of the day, I've always believed that your employees don't work for you. You work for your employees. You don't really have customers unless you're serving them deeply. At the end That's of the right. day, leadership is, is, is a top-down it's mm. concept, right? Like you're learning and you're learning to embody the greatest levels of awareness within yourself so that you can actually hold the space so that you can create the environment so that you can speak to the audience so that you can actually orchestrate leadership, right? Because leadership is an orchestration of energy. Like it's when you're accumulating different people with different ideas and different thought processes and different backgrounds and you're bringing them together to execute on something you have to understand where everyone's at, right? Yeah, like 100%. You, and, and you can't do that unless you embody in yourself. So I think that's what it's turned into. I don't know if it was always this way. Yeah, I don't, I don't know if it was always this way either. I, it may have been, I think, in certain instances, but I think collective, like collectively agreeing on, I guess, the definition of leadership, it seems to be going more in this direction that requires empathy rather than just certainty. Right? A lot of people were looking for certainty and conviction within the person who is leading. And that's not necessarily an indication that they're going to bring you in the right direction. But typically, when somebody can describe your problems and feelings to you better than you can, it seems to be pretty easy to trust where they want to take you. <laughs> Bingo, right? But yeah. even that, that understanding and awareness of the other person requires conviction and knowing in yourself. Like you can't right. see it in your others until you see it in yourself. So like That's right. when you are powerfully trusting of you, which I mm -hmm. think is the greatest, that is the class. Like you, you talk all the different aspects of leadership, but it all comes back mm -hmm. to self-trust. Yes. How much do you trust what you know? How do you, how do you distinguish between the voice of, of your knowing and, you know, and in the voice of uh, our, our dear friend, Sean, like your spiritual <laughs> knowing, your, 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 your intuitive mental knowing, your emotional mastery, like how well do you mm -hmm. know you? And I think with the idea of purpose, it's, I am finding more and more and more that the more I go inward and the more I develop mastery in my life, mm -hmm. the more purpose just begins to show itself because I, I find that all the skills I've developed over the years, I'm developing skills, I'm learning mastery, but whatever's in front of me is what deserves my attention because all that exists is what's in the present moment. Like if you're with mm. your friend who has cerebral palsy, like you're going to use every tool in your toolbox to serve him. Mm -hmm. 
Same 100%. thing, right? Like, and I'd love to actually, this is a great transition into your story with your dad, because, you know, that's actually like the definition, I would say, of embodied leadership, of 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 defining purpose. And I'd love for you to actually share that, because when I when I yeah. read about it, I mean, it, it truly actually moved me. Thank you, man. Yeah, I, I, I'd be happy to share it. It's so the, the story with my dad. So obviously, we're talking about earlier how my mom passed away from cancer. So a few years ago, I think it was right in the beginning of 2020, I was in Florida doing a training, actually learning or no, I was actually assisting in some of the skill set, like a course in some of the skill sets that I use every, every day now with my clients and in what I like to call the liberation session. And as I go through this one week training, you know, like I'm full of all these insights and ideas and I'm ready to come back home here to Texas to like put them in. And I go to my my dad's house to basically see them before I went back to Texas. And my dad took me outside. He's like, Hey, I need to show you something now just to like, let you know where my, like to give you context is where my mind went. My dad is like very handy and he's always like creating these like little things, whether it's things to make it easier for, you know, water to, to filter into a location that typically would be difficult to get it there or like some machinery or just like, he's always tinkering with this stuff. So I figure he's like going to show me something like that. So he takes me outside and all of a sudden I see his whole face change. Like he starts to like break down and cry and, and I don't understand what's going on. And he like puts his arm out like this and there's like a hole. So it looked like a cigarette burn. I'm like, did you get into it? Like with the mob or something like what the fuck's going on? And I was like, like I was freaked out in that moment. And he, he's like, I have melanoma. And that was, you know, where they did the test, uh, you know, where they, they had used the scalpel to cut it out and take the sample. And he's like, I have melanoma. And I remember my whole world just like dropped because all the emotions that I experienced when my mom passed away suddenly rushed back. And one of my first thoughts was like, no, not again. Like I was freaking out for a moment. So both of us were in this state of fear for probably what was like 30 seconds, but it felt like an eternity in that, in that particular moment. And then something in me just like snapped. And I looked at him and I said, I have not put the blood, sweat and tears, like the time, the money, the energy, the investment into this craft that I do when it comes to coaching people and helping people to not be prepared for a situation like this. So whatever it is, we're going to figure this out and you're going to be okay. You did not get told your destiny. You didn't get a death sentence from this doctor. What you got was an opportunity to make the changes that you've always wanted to make. So we're going to handle this. And I remember in that moment, his face changed. He was still scared, but something in his eyes changed. And he looked at me and he said, I trust you. And it was from that point that we immerse ourselves into like the journey of his healing. We immediately went and we started focusing on releasing the, the emotional conflicts that he had dealing with every little thing that we could possibly think of in terms of his, uh, his, emo his unpleasant emotions that he was harboring, his inner conflicts, his external conflicts, the way his intentions were, his whole outlook on life, his belief systems. We did like a clean sweep of everything. We changed his diet. He, you know, followed the immunotherapy, like the Westernized approach. And after like four to six months, not only was he, happier and healthier than he had ever been physically. But the doctor also said to him, you don't have any more symptoms of this in your body at all. Like there's no, there's no visible symptoms whatsoever. And it was a mind blowing 
experience for me because I was like, holy shit, like we fucking did it. Like yeah. we we got him to this point. And the way that his whole outlook looked on life, I mean, it just changed completely for the better. Just how he loved his, uh, how he loved myself and, and, you know, my siblings, how he was, how he was with my stepmom, just even how he worked like in his job every day, like just everything changed. What a powerful story, man. I have shivers up my spine just hearing it. Cause it's like, it's, thank you. That's what, then you talk about mastery. Like that's what it's for. Yeah. <laughs> so you're ready for those situations, it's, man. You're ready for those situations. Whatever calls it's in front of you. It's like, that is the thing that matters most. Mm-hmm. There's nothing else that matters when, when something like that shows up in front of you. And, and I think that it's such a powerful lesson in not just one pursuing mastery and the gift that that provides, right. Mm-hmm. And self mastery. But on top of that, I mean, what a powerful experience to actually release the cancer as mm-hmm. a result of doing the work. I mean, obviously, we can't prove that any one thing led to right. the clearing yeah. of the system, right? Like, we, we didn't, like, I can heal your cancer, thanks. We, we didn't, yeah, we didn't, we didn't, we didn't. <laughs> but it was, trans- it was everything. Yeah, yeah. but we, well, but I think that inside of the healing journey, like the emotional aspect of it is so underlooked. Mm hmm. And the mental and emotional aspect of that journey is so underlooked. And it goes back to what you started this conversation with. The body knows how to heal. Mm-hmm. It's the mind that gets in the way and stops it from doing what it's meant to be doing. So it stops you from feeling. It stops you from forgiving. It stops you from from mm-hmm. believing that something is possible because of an old framework that was borrowed from from religion or culture or, mm-hmm. or patriarchy or some outdated way of existing. Right. Yes. Yeah, so, some assumption, right. And, and typically belief systems, at least what I've began to learn about them is that they're not bad or good, but they, we do need to recognize what a belief actually is. And a belief is really and truly a feeling of certainty about something that we don't actually know. And so we're, we're taking our best guess at it. The problem starts to become when we take it as fact and we also take it as the thing that will limit us from being able to make a change that we really need to make it, especially in a moment like that when people say like, oh, well, now that you have cancer, you're probably not going to survive. Like That's an assumption. That's an assumption taken from other people's experiences, but it's not a fact. And the thing is, a lot of the time when people get that diagnosis, they do look at it like a fact. They look at it like a fact because of the belief systems that they've been handed. How do you begin to unravel a belief system? I know that's probably a long-winded uh, process. Yeah, that's a fun but, one. <laughs> right. But like in the context of this, in healing, when you get something like a diagnosis or when you have a difficult experience or when there's some assumption of yours that's being challenged and it's creating triggers left and right, like how does mm-hmm. one actually navigate the journey of unraveling a belief system and actually stepping into something that's that's in more alignment or service for, for where someone wants to be. So there, there's a, there's a few ways to think about this. Typically when it comes up most is in situations that somebody has a belief for why they can't do or experience a certain thing and personal development will typically call that a limiting belief of some sort. The reality is that it's not necessary. Like when we think about the word belief, a lot of the time we think of something that's almost like unmoving within our minds, within our, our identity with, uh, of ourselves. But the reality is it's not really unmoving. A better way, I think, to describe a limiting belief would be 
again, going back to the way that Tad James had defined it, a limiting decision, right? It was decided one day that this is how things are. And the way that I look at it, especially like my, my philosophy and my, my business is Zen Stoic, as you, know, you see it back here. So Zen Stoicism is based on this whole idea of being very intentional about why you're doing or saying certain things. And we have something called the four intentions and four delusions. And one of those pair bonds is basically the intention of understanding, of seeking to learn, and the delusion of control. Now, the reason why they're called intentions and delusions is because intentions point you back to your own humanity, whereas delusions point you away from your humanity. When I say pointing away from your humanity, what I mean is like we're pointing away from our nature of how we were made, so to speak, or how we were, how we evolved, which is like we were saying before, the body knows what to do. The body has instincts. What is limited is the conscious mind. It's like the very small window of subjective experience that we get to have in the entirety of our, our whole experience. So in that small window, we typically will use that. We'll use the mind to turn away from our own humanity and going towards control is one of the ways of doing that. When we intend control, the reason why we're deluding ourselves is because we're typically falling into some kind of a belief system. And in falling into that belief system, what we're trying to do is we don't understand something, it scares us. So we try to close the, the loop and have some, some sort of conclusive evidence. We make an assumption to fill a void that seems to be open because for some reason we've negatively associate, we've negatively associated to open loops of, of, of things that we don't understand. So what we'll do is we'll create an assumption. That assumption will turn into a belief. That belief will turn into a truth for us. And then we'll operate our whole lives thinking that this set of beliefs, so these, these truths are the gospel for ourselves and that we have to follow them. We have to follow suit. And it puts us into that sense, sense of delusion because the, re- the appeal of beliefs is that they give us a sense of safety and control. They make us think that we have some, some sort of control of our environment and we'll typically try to control that which we don't fully understand. So very simply, if, if a person was to switch over to the intentionality of, under, of understanding versus the delusion of control, what they might do is instead of making definitive statements, they start asking questions. They start purposely opening the loop, purposely embracing the uncertainty and questioning more and more why this belief might be the way that it is. And as we ask questions, we begin to consciously break down the certainty of a limiting decision that we've made for ourselves. And so typically the way that it will come up in a coaching session, just like to make it simple as as an example, is like somebody wants to do something, but they don't believe they're able to. So they have a limiting belief system. That has developed. So what I would do, the first thing that I would do is not why not ask them why do you believe that or or or, or tell them that it's wrong or anything like that. But what I want to first understand is like, well, what is the intention behind that belief? Like, what is the positive intention? Like, what are you how's trying to you? get? Yeah, yeah. How is it serving? Like, what are you trying to get out of that? And only by understanding what the original intention is and then transcending the belief or turning the belief into a question that still fulfills that same intention is somebody able to actually like move away from the old belief systems that have been plaguing them or keeping them stuck. So brilliant. I also think that there's a, there's a certain fear of that uncertainty 
Mm-hmm. Like without this belief system, what the hell is going to be there? Mm. And when we identify with our beliefs, when we identify with our stories, when we identify with this, this thing that's sort of on loop, mm-hmm. what happens when they're in that uncertainty or when they begin to unravel? Like, how do you actually prevent them from going into like a dark night of the soul where it's like everything is mm. just falling apart and there's fear and there's like, you know, like, I mean, like, is there, is there a process for replacing the belief system that's just as important as unraveling it? Yeah. So. The, the first thing that I would say to that, I'm going to answer the second part of the question first, which is like, is there a process for replacing the belief system? Yes. That one is pretty simple. It always helps to have somebody else to be able to do it with you because doing it on yourself can be difficult as you might identify with certain emotions that come up. But ultimately, the way to do it is to understand how does the belief serve me? Because at one point, like all beliefs, when, when we came up with them, might have been appropriate for that context. When they're when they were created, but might not be appropriate for the context of today, several years later, in a situation that seems to have nothing to do with it. Like for example, as a kid, if you're going around school and everybody's trying to steal your Pokemon cards, maybe you come up with a belief that like I can't trust people. Like as a general belief, I can't trust people because they're gonna steal my Pokemon cards. But if you take that into your adulthood, when you're trying to make friends and like become part of a community and say, I can't trust people, like that belief is not going to serve you there. It might have served you from not getting your card stolen as a child, but it's not going to serve you at a networking event where you're trying to become integrated with the community. So what I might ask is like, okay, well, what is the positive intent behind that belief? And that person might say, well, it protects me. It keeps me safe. And then from that point, I'd be like, okay, well, can we appreciate the fact that it protects and keeps you safe? Like, yes, of course. Like, all right, now what else might be true that is a more updated belief with who you are today or more updated sentiment that still fulfills your original intent of wanting to be safe and protected? And that's how we would start to transcend a person's beliefs to update with the current iteration of who they are today. Now, going to the uncertainty part, I'll answer that part because that, that one's really interesting. That, that's been something that I've been working on lately with myself as well as some of my clients. But I think the thing with uncertainty that's really interesting is not to judge uncertainty as something bad. We've, we've been almost conditioned to believe that not knowing is a bad thing. But the very nature of life is that it changes. Everything is temporary. Everything changes. It's like, if we think to ourselves that uncertainty is bad, then we're going to consistently hold this like sense of dread and despair with everything, every little change that's going to happen. And some of us have a greater sensitivity to it than others. But the point is, if we think the unknown is a bad thing, then we're always going to have this kind of dread in the back of our head, even if it's mild. So what I've started to develop was something that, you know, through Zen Stoicism, we call it the dichotomy of knowing. Similar to the dichotomy of control, which was created by a philosopher named Epictetus, which is basically to recognize what is in your control and to recognize what is not in your control and to bring your focus to what is and let go of and embrace what's not. So pretty simple, not always the easiest to execute, right? Because we, we tend to put a lot of stock into things that we don't control. But the, th- the same thing goes with like that which you know. And there's very, very little which we actually know. There's a lot that we believe, but it's not the same as knowing. And knowing is, is essentially only found in the present. Like I know that I'm here right now. I know that I have two hands. I know that I'm talking to Raj. 
that's it. Like, I don't really know anything, like truly know anything beyond that. Everything else might be an assumption or belief. So the acknowledgement of, I don't know without judgment on it is typically what sets us free from that fear of uncertainty and allows us to kind of just like relax. Like it's okay not to know because every time I don't know is an opportunity for understanding curiosity and wonder. Ah, dude, that's so good. I love knowing being anchored in the present moment because that's truth. Like if we really had to get real, Mm -hmm. like, yes, we might know that something happened in the past, but our memory of it is what we are retelling in the present moment. That's right. Yeah. What we can I, see, touch, taste, feel is happening right now. That's right. <laughs> I love that you said that you said that. Like when you talked about the memory, it, it reminds me of something that I, I talk about in the session, the liberation session that I do with with the people I get to work with. A lot of the time what we're dealing with when it comes to like, well, we got to resolve this event that happened in your past. What's funny about saying that is that we're typically not actually talking about a historically true event because at the end of the day, what I do respond to in that session as a coach is I respond to what the person is holding in their minds, not whether or not it's historically accurate. Because the fact of the matter is like as human beings, like we're pretty shit at recounting our memories accurately. <laughs> like we like to throw in uh, some extra details here and oh, there. Oh yeah, make it Either to make them more dramatic drama, or to make us yep. seem cool. Yeah, yeah <laughs> exactly. So it's like responding to what is. It's like, well, I believe that this person, you know, like threw applesauce at my face during lunch in fifth grade. It's like, maybe that didn't actually happen, but if that's what you're holding in your mind, that's the thing that you got to deal with, right? Maybe those are the emotions that even if they're fabricated, You still got to deal with those because that's what's here now. That's what's here that is like coming up in your, in your resident memory as the thing that's bothering you. So I love that, that you, you said that because if we're remembering, if we're like recalling the memory now, we're not actually responding to the event itself, but we're responding to how we're doing that. And that's ultimately the thing that we got to deal with because that's the thing that we know to be true in that we're experiencing. Bingo, dude. Uh, It's you're you're nailing it on the head. I mean, like, I can't tell you how many sessions I've had, like just healing coaching sessions where I'll be triggered in the moment about something that I'm recalling from a past. I'm saying it with such certainty Mm -hmm. and the entire healing is actually just unraveling that and exploring alternate perspectives of that thing. It literally is that simple. Mm -hmm. It's like, I think this person did this to me. I made this mean that. Well, mm-hmm. Raj, that could be one story, <laughs> but there could be this, this, this. What if it was this, 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 and this? And the second I stop holding on so tight to what I believe to be absolutely true, that is creating the trigger in the moment, mm-hmm. I can then finally rest and release. That's right. Because all I need to know is that, hey, there could be other possibilities. Mm-hmm. And it's almost like that's all my mind needs to then give myself the permission to begin feeling. Right. And just by the nature of life itself, there's always other possibilities. Yeah. There's like, there's never not that because <laughs> we, we live in such a vast existence where there's always a new perspective, a different angle, a different vantage point to see something. Okay. You're such a boss, dude. I, I just love <laughs> like 
I had a feeling we were going to have a really too, good man. conversation. <laughs> <laughs> like, I just had a really, I had a feeling we were just going to jam and it was going to be fun. And we're going to talk about the absurdity of the human experience and, and just really get to experience your heart. And I'm just really grateful that I get to call you a brother and a friend. And I'm really proud of you for just embodying your own journey and just really leaning into your own definitions of leadership and doing the work and it shows and I am just very grateful that I get to call you a brother and have you in my life, man. Thank you for being. The feeling is mutual, man. For sure. <laughs> like as I remember as soon as we met, that was like instant connections. Like, oh I I've known you for lifetimes, huh? <laughs> That's exactly the feeling oh, I got. It's so. so good, brother. Well, all right. So Zen Stoic, is that the podcast? Yeah, so that's the podcast. Here, let me just uh Yeah, so Zen, the Zen Stoic Path is the podcast. Zen Stoicism is the hybrid philosophy. It's our modern take on the hybrid between Zen Buddhism and Stoicism that we've put together. And the whole premise of it is it's intended to aim at creating a life of unshakable inner peace. In other words, to, uh, as we like to say, be the warrior in the garden instead of the gardener in the war. And to tie this back to the first story that you had asked me about, when my mom passed away, it felt very much like I was a gardener getting caught in a war that I didn't expect of my own emotions, of loss, of death, of facing mortality of a loved one. And the whole aim of philosophy is to understand that sometimes stuff like that is going to happen outside of our control, right? There is a very temporary nature and fragility to the human experience that ironically is what gives it all of its meaning. And to understand that these realities are very possible doesn't mean that we shouldn't enjoy our lives, but it would be best for ourselves and for our own sanity to be prepared mentally and emotionally for these things. So like my whole aim was then stoicism is to enjoy the present moment, to enjoy the peace, the beauty, the love of the garden that you create in your life or in other words, your ideals and protect it as much as you can, but also be aware that anything can happen. Things can be lost. People can be lost as to, train yourself mentally, emotionally, physically to be prepared for anything life could throw at you. Yeah. That's, I love the gardener in a, in a war idea. I mean, that really actually sums up even just our conversation today around mm-hmm. leadership and why developing yourself and, and pursuing mastery and all the dimensions of self, right? Like everything mm-hmm. from mental to emotional, to physical, to, to, to energetic. I mean, all of these aspects of you are, tools in your in your arsenal that you can pull from in any moment to create more love, fulfillment, um, momentum. And uh, and I just, I love what you stand for, man. And I'm so grateful that uh, you exist as you are. Likewise, man. <laughs> I got one last question for you, brother. Uh, in the midst of everything you're doing, everywhere you've been and everywhere you're going, how do you stay grounded? How do I stay grounded? You know, this is going to sound really ridiculous, but it's the first thing that came to my mind. I will sometimes just take a moment or I sometimes even start my day like this, but I really, really enjoy watching South Park. It keeps me grounded. (laughs) It keeps me grounded. It it prevents me from taking myself too seriously. It allows me to laugh at myself. (laughs) It just brings me back into my own humanity, man. Like It's so ridiculous, but it's it's my thing. (laughs) Holy shit, that is so 
<laughs> You're so dumb and funny and ridiculous. God, like I'm like blown away. That's like probably the most ridiculous answer I think I've out of like 200 something episodes. I think that might be just the greatest answer. Um, Perfect. <laughs> I love it, dude. Well, humor in general is 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 I think the idea of of not taking ourselves too seriously and and remembering that this is all um everything is everything is perfect as it is um that's right man and it, it i think like you said humor is to me it's the most grounding thing it's the thing yeah. that most brings me into my humanity uh, above all else it just kind of reminds me like it's something i always say to myself a, a personal mantra of mine is when i'm looking at my life i'll usually say something like it's not that serious but it is sincere Mm. Oh, I feel that one. I really feel that one. There's something Thank about you. the word sincere that just really grounds and brings in like that that reverence and gratitude for all experiences. Like there's a there's a beauty, there's a beauty in that word that I really appreciate being used in this context. Um Dude, Thank you're such a boss. I appreciate you. Thank you again too, for being really? here. And I can't <laughs> wait to keep jamming and growing and creating and doing all the things. But everybody, that is a wrap for this week's episode of Stay Grounded. I'm your host, Raj. This is your new friend, Victor. And from us, stay grounded. We'll chat soon. Thanks for joining us today on this episode of Stay Grounded. I hope you found this interview helpful as you create your own ways to live an extraordinary life. For more resources and support, please visit www.rajjana.com forward slash stay grounded to join the official Stay Grounded Facebook group, a place where aspiring life enthusiasts can connect and ignite passion for life together. My hope is that the positivity, content, resources, and support in this group will resonate with you on a deeper level. That what you hear in our podcast, read in our thoughtful posts, or learn in our courses will empower you to live with intention, uncover true purpose, and challenge the internal dialogues that stop you from being who you really want to be in your life. Again, thanks so much for joining us. Stay grounded.